0: hello again and welcome to episode four before i start i wanted to add my quick disclaimer that this whole project has been quite the learning experience and something i've found so so much joy and gratitude in so first and foremost thank you for taking the time to listen Um, that being said i'm learning so much and i have so much more to learn and I would just really appreciate any comments or things that you might be noticing as a listener as I'm just trying to take in as much as possible. You know, even the things I might not want to hear, I'm just trying to learn. And uh, for some context, this is my third editing software in just a few episodes that we've had that I'm trying to sort out and figure out and without any kind of background or education in this. It's been fun and not fun and just a great experience but perspective is what I'm looking for to make this uh, the experience that I want it to be that I've been hearing that people have been enjoying and something that I can do to elevate people's voices and balancing you know trying to make the best product possible while still being able to be genuine to the guests that come in especially in the editing process is something that's very different for me and without context and without too many episodes in is, you know, uh, something I'm learning along the way. So every episode has had a lot of differences and I'm enjoying that process, but it's also pretty intimidating and scary. And, you know, the thing for me right now is to Have an open mind, and if you can contribute to that, I would love nothing more. So, uh, with that being said, today's episode uh, dives into the life of a new business owner who took a lifelong passion for learning about the natural world and creating a unique product. She combines a study of entomology with a creative palette of oddities and in a very artistic way. Uh, For me, this is a special conversation because it's about a young entrepreneur who's found their place in the four categories that i'm really trying to prioritize as equals within this company for ecosystems and those four categories being environmental social financial and personal health as a package deal and i think this is a unique case where her dedication to her craft herself and her willingness to learn is something that I came to learn so much from during our conversation. And I think you will too. So I'll leave it at that and looking forward to how you feel about the episode and appreciate your presence. All right. So let's get into it. (music)
1: I've been collecting bugs literally my whole life. Um, We used to have You know, tunnel spiders just in every crevice in our backyard and my dad would take me out and we'd poke at their webs to get them to come out and play with them and um, I started picking up dead bugs. I think I had a a monarch butterfly in a bag for about 10 years because we found it when I was 7 years old and I was just like I I need to keep that dead butterfly and I don't know why and I literally had it in a bag in my closet for years um, and ended up using it in a project in high school and then hadn't really thought much about you know that for ages after that and then just kept finding more really pretty butterflies on the ground so I actually still have a frame up in my room of all my you know first butterflies and they're all they're all quite ugly but um they're the first ones I've ever found first ones I ever pinned um but it was the same process I just found them outside and was like I need to keep this but I don't know why and just had it for a couple years and One day, I think I, I think I was moving and picked up my box full of dead butterflies and thought, well, I can't just move to a new state with a box of dead butterflies and no purpose Um, and ended up Googling, you know, how. How do I take care of this? What do I do with this? I have these butterflies and I don't know what to do with them. Um, And through that, kind of learning that you can pin them and preserve them and keep them forever and make them look really beautiful. Um, So I started sort of just doing that with bugs that I found outside, a lot of bees and wasps and stink bugs and just little itty bitty moths and itty bitty butterflies. Um, But that was enough to kind of get me the practice that I needed to know how to pin it. And then I discovered that you can um, Buy bigger, prettier, more intact butterflies through conservation farms that dedicate their whole practice to breeding them and working on uh, keeping their populations up, educating about their environment and how to conserve and how to you know ethically source bugs. Um, so I started getting more into that sort of realm of things and it's just blown up you know it's it's something that i really love doing i just if i touch a hundred bugs in one day then that's the best day i've had that week
0: this is it's so interesting especially because it comes from such a relatable start as a child yeah <laughs> you know you kind of have this innocent moment you know everyone talks about the ants and the worms and the bugs when they're kids and everyone grows out of it or mm-hmm. you know that's just the assumption and it kind of seems like there was just something there that attracted you to it and you clearly know too that you didn't know what it was and you just kept on coming back to it um, yeah definitely I would say like in context too like as a kid growing up and then a teenager and you know the age that you're at and now like those different steps of that you know this wasn't something that you're like oh i'm going to be the bug lady it right. was just a genuine and organic interest in process it sounds like what was your life outside of that and were you telling people were you even articulating that you're doing it or does it just seem focused because it's so primary to your story and your business now
1: yeah i mean it it's did take a while for it to become um, the main focus of my life. Um, when I first started, like I said, I was collecting bugs as a, as a teenager, so when I started really trying to preserve them. Um, but I was actually going to school for veterinary science, um, which didn't last very long. Um, I think I dropped, dropped out of uh, vet school about half a year in, um, and then was just bouncing back and forth between, oh, I want to be an artist, so I, my major is now art, and oh, shoot, well, I miss biology so much, I have to major in biology, and then I was like, well, I'm so bored with that, like I need to do art, and I, I literally changed my major about 10 times in the course of two years, um, just back and forth between different aspects of biology and art. And I just could not decide. I think when, when my own practice started being the, the focus of my life was after I dropped out of college for the third time. And I just, I, I was just not doing what I wanted in school, you know, and it was just couldn't make the decision. No matter what I was doing, I was unhappy until I would come home and sort of do my own projects and do my own thing. I think for the last couple years, um, I'd say I started kind of trying to to be more public about my work, but it was still very... I hate to use the word juvenile when you're talking about artwork, but, you know, when you look at people's early art and you can tell the point at which they figured it out. And um, a lot of when I was trying to be more public about it and trying to sell my art was before I had figured it out. So I had these, like janky little boxes with beat up bees and they just you know were really kind of grimy and not very well put together Um, but even then I was still like hey look at this really cool thing I did there there was a point where it just clicked for me you know and I, I look back at photos of my old work and I I can literally see the point where it went from these dingy little bees to like these big, beautiful moths and butterflies that are well put together. And that's when I started really like focusing on it and, and being public and pushing it and telling people like, hey, this is what I'm actually doing. You know, forget all the other stuff. This is what I'm doing.
0: Uh, it's such an interesting medium because it's. You know, not something that in pop culture you're going to see and be able to sell very easily. Um, yeah. But at the same time, too, it's so unique that it does pop if it's in your face. And so, like so many people, you know, had to figure out how to make a small business in a unique realm mm-hmm. relevant. And you've used social media in different aspects to do that. So what's that journey been like for you?
1: It's been honestly really difficult we have a complicated relationship um in that you know it's <laughs> it's so easy to go on social media to get that validation um but then once you do start getting that validation it's really really easy to get hooked on that and to see like oh my gosh like i only got 20 likes on this i must be a failure of an artist like oh, i have to stop everything i'm doing because nobody liked my instagram post um and it's it's really easy to get caught up in that and i th- i think I think genuinely the less I care about my social media persona, the better it comes across, you know, because you can usually look at someone's, say, Instagram post and just think like, oh, God, that person is trying so hard. And I I feel like I am finally confident enough to, to shy away from that and to just kind of like, you know what? Post what I want to post, make what I want to make, and the people that like it and the people that follow it are the people I want around, you know, and if I'm spending all of this time trying to vie for the attention of people who are not interested, like I'm just going to be miserable, like do what you want to do. And, you know, people will follow as opposed to trying to do what you think people want, you know.
0: It takes so much confidence to be in the position that you're in because when you think of Instagram and selling and marketing, it's like a very distinct product or a service or yourself. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're selling these really intricate, curious, and mis- like magical little pieces, you know, you're not selling sex. You're not selling, yeah. <laughs> you know, an instant fix. You're, it's a totally different market. So it's not yeah. like you're in it to make billions you know and right. but at the same time you can find a lot of success because you're so unique yeah and i think that sense of not being like if you were to try and follow the trends of best practice in social media and all of those things it would be inconsistent with your product.
1: Yeah, and it definitely has been. You know, again, it's one of those things where I I personally don't ever delete Instagram photos. I know there's a lot of people who go down their accounts and they curate it so that the whole thing is very aesthetic and la da 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 I have posts from 2011. So you can definitely go back and see where I was very much trying to pander and you can see that it's not doing well as opposed to when I'm just being, you know, as natural and myself and just posting my work. Um, It just it feels more authentic. It feels more me. I feel better about it rather than trying to like get my work to look like what someone else thinks it should be you know
0: right and, and that speaks to your artistic integrity because mm-hmm. it's allowing you to be yourself and the more it looks and more that it caters to other people the less original it is and that's what makes it so attractive and you know you've definitely improved you've your natural curiosities your research your observation your stick-to-itiveness all these things are kind of just coming together uh for this and you know the the one thing that i have to ask you is are you noticing trends in who is buying
1: i it's it's really tough to say um You know, because I I do sell through Etsy primarily and you don't get a whole lot of information about your buyers from Etsy. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm sure if I were to go in and cross reference each name with all the usernames that follow me and then look through those accounts and see what kind of people it is, I'm sure I could figure something out. But I mean, just by nature of my products, you know, it's it's bones and it's dead bugs and it's kind of creepier stuff. I have to assume that it's more, I guess, alternative people Um, because, you know, you don't walk down the street and say, oh, you know, Karen, who's yelling at the barista wants a (laughs) scrimshod taxidermy skull, you know, right? It's it's a lot of it right now is just assumptions um and i'm i'm 100 percent sure that if i did any sort of research there would definitely be trends just because my stuff is so niche and so yeah. specific
0: yeah. you know yeah and i i think it's so funny you brought up a great point there where you know the fact that it's it's taxidermy it's it's bones and all these things and just because it's not traditional hunting um prize and game like well, they do. There's plenty of people that do that with deer, with buck, with mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of animals, and that in certain circles much more normal. And just because yeah. it's something small and more intricate, it can be very surprising to people. Uh, but that's also what the delicacy yeah. of that, I, to me, makes it so um, so much more interesting.
1: And it's it's really fascinating to see the different realms of people because. You know this is a trend that i noticed um before i was doing full-time art when i was working in an oddities shop is the kinds of people that come in for the big heads the big taxidermy mounts are totally different from the kinds of people that come in for little itty bitty toe bones and jars and and bugs and frames and the prettier stuff and i feel like a lot of it is just this kind of social I hesitate to say stigma, but, you know, if you think about it, there's this like masculine prize winning aura around having a big old buck on your wall versus like, oh, look at this shiny blue butterfly, you know, and you kind of have to think about like art, you know, are you appreciating the artistic side of the taxidermy or are you just trying to show off? Um, and I think a lot of my stuff is not really show offish, you know, even the skulls that I do do are little bitty coyote skulls and they have pretty little gold lace on them. And you don't see the the people doing the big buck mounting wanting a pretty intricate little tiny skull. I mean,
0: you can totally look at the social uh, trends of that and for gender identification i'm sure there's certain ways that both of those ways would lean um but who knows and i think a part of my curiosity for you for the future is you know how do you open that door in an organic way with you know just the quality of what your work is like how do you kind of just make it to the point where it's so good that it doesn't matter who it is, what they're looking at, they're just drawn to your work. And, you know, that's every artist's dilemma for the rest of their life of just trying to find that new lens. And, you mm-hmm. know, for you, you have such an interesting medium. You know, how how does that scale for you? Like, what is how do you find inspiration after you've used certain things over like certain bugs a million times or there's a certain insect that pulls a lot of attention that you're really not fond of working with or Mm -hmm. you know those kind of business as usual things that kind of happen in in your unique way like how how is that going?
1: It is a balance because there are there are some bugs that you know the people really like but personally I don't really care for. and I'm not gonna, you know, talk about which bugs those are because I don't want people to feel bad for asking for them. But you know, some butterflies that are very pretty um, that. I don't personally find very compelling, but I know that other people do really like them. Honestly, I just try to to balance it out in my head. You know, for every so-called boring bug that I have to do, I'll get myself like three that I'm really excited about, and that kind of weighs it out for me. Or even just finding ways to make the bugs that I have to do a lot more interesting to myself. So, for example, um, if I have to do the same butterfly in four different frames, how can I make those frames more interesting for me and how can I make it so that I still feel like I do want to do this even when they are the bugs that I'm not that interested in. I feel like it's really all about challenging myself, you know, in order to not fall into that rut of, oh, I'm bored of what I'm doing and it feels unauthentic, you know be better not bitter you know if you're bored with your work if you feel like your work isn't good enough or isn't interesting enough or someone else is getting close to copying your style step it up be better you know don't sit there and and complain about how oh my gosh everybody loves this butterfly and i'm so sick of it you know make it more interesting make it so that you're not sick of it um and i think that that's been a really fun challenge for me is is looking at a, a butterfly that I don't find particularly compelling and just like
0: yeah, making yeah, it compelling, you know? That's such a great take for it and such, you know, that's how you've gotten to the point that you're at and that's how I know you're going to be successful because that that weighs on so <laughs> many people, especially when they're trying to sell something and mm-hmm. have artistic integrity. I mean, it's an ongoing problem. Um, yeah. But... I I think my next route that I want to go down for this is you know when you're talking about what's interesting to you what's not interesting to you you know when you have such unique materials to work with and you know what what are your reference points what are your inspirations on what are the stories you're trying to tell because not only do you do pieces that are just the insect or just the bone like you've mentioned a couple times you have frames or boxes and you incorporate Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. these scenes and and jars and it's really really unique and where do you find your inspiration, and what are the stories that you find yourself trying to tell with them?
1: Well, a good example um, that is I guess currently relevant is i'm I'm working on kind of a a Halloween series. Um so I, I like to try to theme things. So right now I've got a few pieces sitting on my desk that are all kind of spooky. um so i'll I'll take a bug and I'll kind of, <laughs> look at it a while and think, uh, you know, what what would suit this best? What would bring this bug out visually? Um, so I'll, I'll go for a specific example. I've got this this beautiful yellow. Um, it's equals imperialis. It's an imperial moth, um, but it's this bright yellow with little brown mottled patches all over it. And I'm looking at it and thinking, like, this looks like a great Halloween moth. Like, this is super spooky. It almost kind of looks like you know, the moon and those really filtered pictures and thinking, okay, well, what, what would go really good with a moth that looks like the moon around Halloween time? Like, oh, a spooky forest. So then I, you know, broke up a bunch of twigs and glued moss to the top of them to make it look like a forest and kind of set that up around the moth and then I still had a bunch of space in the box that it's in. So it's like, okay, well, what else would go good with this? And I guess for for reference, the box that I am using is kind of a two-tiered, it looks like a mini grandfather clock, but without any of the pieces. So it's got that kind of upper little section and then a big long lower section. And I've got the moth in the upper section. And for the lower section, I was like, okay, well, this kind of looks like a clock anyways. What can I use for a pendulum? And um, ended up finding a tiny little taxidermied bat that hangs upside down and thought this is just... This is just perfect. Um, So built another tiny little forest on the bottom half, got the bat screwed in so it kind of swings back and forth. And now I've got this cute little like spooky moth bat Halloween clock. So a lot of it is really just I, I get the bugs first and then I kind of put it next to stuff and say, like, does this beetle look good next to a pumpkin or does it look good next to rose petals? And then kind of just work on a theme. So like try to stay relevant, try to stay with the season. So like I said, I'm doing all sorts of Halloween stuff right now. So I've got a bunch of little plastic pumpkins. I've got some like spooky snake skin, more skulls and beetles versus in the spring, I'll probably come out and do some more like little pink butterflies and those always good look good with uh, dried flowers and baby's breath and really delicate stuff versus the Halloween stuff which is more like <laughs> rugged and creepy um,
0: yeah, if that, that's, if that answers it, the it's, question. Um, it's captivating because there's, there's so much th- going yeah. on and uh, like a, an artist thing is when you stop seeing things and you start seeing shapes and colors and hues and depths um, like you're seeing yeah, animals and insects where things go in ways mm-hmm. that other people don't and you know it's just it's so unique and you've leaned into it you're having fun and you can just tell the way you talk about it and I love (laughs) it but my favorite part about it is you are worrying about like where you're getting the, the, you know, you're sourcing this stuff and you're looking at different mm-hmm. species types and you have opportunities to promote species types and conservation and work that into your yeah. storytelling along with, you know, educating people about a really, really uh, interesting part of biology. And, you know, yeah. what's I'm sure you don't get to talk about that as much in your social media posts and your marketing as much as you want, you know, right. so how does that, do you think that'll scale? Do you think you'll be able to find a spot or do you have to kind of have your own little club where you get to have your little moments of talking about these details? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I think I'm I'm slowly working on on integrating it more because um, it is definitely one of my favorite parts to talk about is is the science behind it and the, the ecology behind it. And a lot of the times I do kind of feel like the art is just a means to get a platform to talk about what really matters, which is, you know, the ecology of it. There's a mass insect population decline going on right now. So something I a statistic I just saw this morning actually is that um, insect populations are decreasing, I think, nine percent wow. per decade. So that's one wow. percent every year of insects are that's declining. That's insects as a whole, that's not, um, you know,
0: a certain species or family yeah, or genus, that's-
1: Exactly. That's insane. That's all of them and it's it's wild because I, I actually hear this all the time is, is I'll be talking about p- bugs and people are like, well, oh my gosh, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it's actually been forever since I last saw a butterfly. You know, I used to see them all the time when I was a kid and I don't see them anymore. And, you know, that's not a coincidence. You're absolutely right. You know, they are dying. And, and I think that something that is also really interesting with that is which insects tend to get more attention. So we all hear, you know, save the bees and the monarchs, you know, are dying. And for me, at least, those are the the two that I hear the most is the bees and monarchs specifically, which is actually really funny to me um, talking about bees. And this this always gets controversial when you start talking about bees. Because if I say, you know, save the bees, What what bee are you thinking? Probably a honeybee. But but the ironic thing is that honeybees are not endangered at all. Honeybees are actually technically invasive in the US because so many people keep them. um, And there are so many conservation projects around honeybees that the honeybees are actually pushing out native bee species. So native bees, carpenter bees, uh, orchid bees, all these other little bees that people don't even think about are dying because we keep focusing so much energy on honeybees. And honeybees are honestly not even that great pollinators. You know, they do pollinate and they do produce honey, but not nearly at the same level as native bee species. Um, And that's not something that a lot of people know or care about. And then, you know, same thing with with beetles. A lot of people have issues with beetles because they're kind of creepy and crawly and turns out they fly, which again, it always shocks me, you know, stuff that I take as as a given stuff that I assume is like general knowledge is not. um, And that's been really funny to see. But yeah, like all beetles fly, all butterflies have four wings, stuff like that, where I'm like, "Ah, I thought everybody knew that. Um, It's apparently not common knowledge and they're declining and it's it's hard to try and get people to realize the importance of things like the little itty itty bitty beetles that are in the ground. Um, and their, their purpose is to help with decomposition. So they eat dead wood and they eat dead leaves and, um, you know, dung beetles get rid of all of the excrement that builds up on the forest floor. And it's all of this really, really important waste removal that beetles are doing. And if the beetles die, then we're going to start drowning in waste. You know, if, if the ants die, then we're going to start drowning in aphids, which are going to destroy our crops, um, just stuff like that, that it's a really, really fine ecosystem. And any sort of tweak is just going to send it spiraling. Um, and it's, it's tragic. And
0: yeah, it's, it's, it, it's so hard to, it's like with even animal conservation, you know, like you have your polar bears, your panda bears as like your signature flagships, mm-hmm. like to try and find mm-hmm. public attention for these things. But, you know, there's so many other ways and mm-hmm. there's just a million things going on. Where do you even start? But it's even more difficult, I think, for mm-hmm. insects because A, they're small and humans, are very yeah. human centric and they're more unrelatable mm-hmm. that it's the conversation and the the gateway for that is very peculiar. Um, but that's where I think mm-hmm. your work is so unique. You know, it's not yeah. your duty to do that, but I think it's a, a very interesting and compelling way to educate, inspire, and really fascinate people without throwing, you know, buckets of red paint all over them, calling them killers, you know, and it's right. <laughs> but getting the point across. Yeah. And I think the All sorts of fields are dealing with in terms of conservation. Um, You know, how do it's past the Mm -hmm. point where we're talking hypothetically. There's major, major diminishing of populations, and the people that specialize Mm -hmm. in those specific things. You know, they are so deep into it, and they know all the intricacies and all the minute details of what each species is going to do and affect the ecosystem. But to translate to the general public, and more importantly, like grants, Mm -hmm. funding, you know, to get the money for that becomes harder and harder, the deeper you go. And, and that, Relatability part, yeah. so I think when you start talking about things that like decomposers and dealing with aphids and stuff that comes down to soil science And I think that's gonna be something where, yeah. you know, America soils so destroyed um, Just from just such a use of it and lack of turnover and lack of strategy and monocropping and mm-hmm. all, you know All these other things that people know a lot more of than me, but I know I know enough that soil is Going is so important for our hunger crisis, for our future, for our sustainability mm-hmm. of resources going forward, and the identity of this country. Uh, middle America is so important and so tied to agriculture. So, you know, I think that's another way yeah. where, <laughs> when pesticides start lo- stop losing their effect because adaptation of species are in pests are outweighing the product and the tech, or people can't afford it. You know, mm-hmm. there's bugs and things that had natural systems that were taken care of for the soil beforehand, before we interpret it. it just takes time, just not the way that our production lines, you know, reward. So I I think there's plenty of research and potential there. If you were able to say, like, this bug dying means you're losing money. Mm hmm.
1: Right. How, how do you translate it into the, the pocket of capitalists um, tends to be the, the driving factor for actually doing any sort of change?
0: Specifically to what we're talking about with with insects, you know, when all of a sudden all of these different types of crops and flowers and trees and things that need pollinators or, you know, just certain systems in the grounds and Things that make our natural systems work just fall off and we act surprised. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's not only insulting, that's just negligence.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just this you know, willful ignorance as people are just choosing to not acknowledge things. And I, I get that it's, it's really hard right now. And especially with, you know, our political climate, our actual climate, you know, it, there's just so much to focus on that it can be really hard to add one more thing to the list of things to be stressed about. Um, and I think that that, is also a big issue with people, um, is that they just, they look at stuff like this and they think, well, I just emotionally, I can't deal with that right now. You know, I, I have to think about the election and, and global warming. And I just can't think about all this other stuff right now, but it's like, well, A, it's a privilege for you to be able to take a step back from any of this. And B, they're not separate things. They're all connected. The, you know, political climate of our country is affecting the global climate of, you know, climate change, which is affecting the insect populations and one thousand other things all all at once. You know, you can't just pick and choose what you care about because they are all the same problem you know, under it all, they are all the same problem, which is, it's hard. Um, and it is hard to, to, to care about that a lot. You know, there's some, some term for it. It's like political fatigue or whatever. Um, that just comes with like having to read the news every day. Um, and it, it can be really easy to just say, you know what, I'm not going to deal with that and just close that off and not think about it. But again you know it is it is a privilege for you to be able to do that there are people who cannot just do that
0: yeah and i i think going into that too it's with uh, the sense of like survival you know like that they're not able to turn it off because Mm -hmm. they're being affected directly and maybe they don't even aren't tuning in or maybe they aren't listening but they're directly and disproportionately being affected and more vulnerable by these decisions and things that happen and you know, this has been the existence mm-hmm. of, of humans. You know, this has always happened. There's always, yeah. you know, someone that is being thought of because there's always a, a chase for, for more from other groups. And it takes sacrifice to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've just normalized that, normalized that, normalized. But the one thing that's so interesting to me that. You know, you know, but you're also a human in this world, and you know you're not just only thinking about your work and your insects and your and you have this mm-hmm. little bubble like you're a real person. Um, is that for mm-hmm. nature to be stagnant is inappropriate. You know, nature needs to be changing it. It is dynamic. You're not supposed to have all the solutions. You're supposed to, actually, you're not supposed to do anything. The world and the environment will adapt accordingly. (laughs) So if you take, it'll Mm -hmm. give somewhere else. If you give, it'll take somewhere else. It's going to always achieve and strive for balance no matter what your opinions are on it. And I think that's something that your work not only reflects, but it has like a really good passive message through it. And the relationship between the natural world and humans and the artistic artistic presence in a very politically Mm -hmm. challenging time. So I I think it really brings a lot in together just by it existing and you being successful.
1: I would just encourage people to, to use the internet. Honestly, I mean, if there's one takeaway from this, it's like, just just do research, you know, look look into how important bugs are, you know, look into how cool they are and how pretty they are and also why you should care about them, <clears throat> which is a big part of my work, is just pushing to, to have them be seen in a new light, you know, to have them be seen outside of the creepy crawlies that you don't wanna touch, you know? I really do want to encourage people to, to take a closer look, you know, um, even, even house flies are <laughs> as nasty as they are, um, actually quite beautiful. Um, you know, and I would, I would really just encourage people to, to think about that, you know, next time you see a fly, see if you can see what color it is, look at its pattern and then, and then maybe Google, you know, why are flies important to the ecosystem and just kind of.
0: Yeah, I, educated, it's, yeah you know? <laughs> it's, uh, and it's an extra an extension of things that we should be doing in all assets of our life and I think this is a really nice example yeah. that you know it's it's easy to do you know just a little moment and when people see the photos that you give me and um, I'm sure some of your pieces will be in there and of you you, you just see it which um, mm-hmm. is very yeah uh, there's something special about it and it really brings it all together so Thank you so much uh, for your time. I will actually also ask you um, if you have anything that comes to mind of any conservation groups or like nonprofits or anything that like if people want to say like, hey, I want to help, mm-hmm. you know, I want to learn more, like anything that we can direct yeah. them to.
1: Um, definitely. Well, a couple right off the top of my head. Um, Xer- the Xerxes Society, and that's spelled X-E-R-C-E-S. Society. Um, They work on butterfly conservation, and specifically they are working on the monarch project right now. So planting milkweed from Canada to Mexico to try to help monarchs have their root. Um, Also pollinator partnership is a great one that's helping um, native bees. I think they're both, they have websites, Instagrams, Um, they're
0: easy to find and they do great work. Well, thank you so much. Uh, This has been interesting, compelling, inspiring. It's super (laughs) cool to see. So thank you for being awesome. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me on.